0: Here 1 Peter, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you with Jesus Christ as revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy. Because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, friends, welcome. If you're here for the first time, And we haven't had the joy of meeting. My name's Grant, and I'm part of the team, and it's great to welcome you to our service this morning. Uh, You've caught us um, in the middle of a journey through the book of 1 Peter, um, tucked at the back of the New Testament. If you are able to pull that up on a cell phone, or you might have a hard copy with you, it'll help you to have that in front of you um, as I speak for the next few moments. But before we dive in, will you bow with me as we pray? Father, we are here for one purpose this morning, and that is to hear from you. And so we pray that you would remove all obstacles to that happening, including the preacher, and that your voice would be heard as your word is explained. And we pray that that uh, voice would change us on the inside in a way that nothing else can. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. When I was a student, I had the privilege of going to Paris um, for a long weekend with some friends, and one day I woke up in the hotel to discover that they, had all, they were used to Paris, they knew they were around Paris, it was my first time ever there, they all spoke French, and uh, they had left me behind, I'd overslept, and they went on an outing, so I thought, well, I'm going to take myself on an outing around Paris, and I got hopelessly lost. It was then that I discovered that the French are not that patient with English speakers, I hope there aren't any French. Are there any French in the room before I carry on insulting the nation? The only two French words I knew were baguette and coke. (laughs) So I didn't go hungry, but I got totally lost in Paris. I didn't know where my hotel was. I couldn't ask for directions. It appears that uh, no Frenchman knows how to speak English or understand it. I kept hoping, living in hope, that I'd find a compassionate Frenchman, Parisian, and uh, I'm sorry to say that I'm still looking. (laughs) Eventually I I stumbled across my hotel entirely by accident with no thanks to the French. I think that is um, a little bit how strangers, exiles, refugees feel. Just a tiny taste of that. You live in hope, hope of safety, hope of kindness from pure strangers, hope of a better life. Peter has written to a group of Christians who are in danger of being persecuted by the mighty Roman Empire. And he wants them to view themselves as strangers, as refugees, as exiles. And though they are strangers to this world, which rejects them and soon will be persecuting them, he wants them to remember that they are not strangers to God. Though the world has rejected them, God has accepted them. Though the world has disowned them, God has given them new birth into his family so that they can call him Father and be part of a new family with God as Father and Jesus as Big Brother. Not only a new family, mind you, if you were here last week, then you'll remember the wonderful news that he's also given us a new inheritance to look forward to. A real inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, as he put it last time, or as one Christian writer put it, an inheritance that is death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof. And the guarantee of that resurrection That you will actually get it if you are born again into the Lord Jesus Christ. The guarantee is the resurrection of Jesus. That defining moment when all of history changed, when Jesus physically and literally survived death and stood up from the grave. A fact of history that has to date not been disproved and therefore you ought to put your life on that. And so it's not wishful thinking, it's not pie in the sky when you die by and by. You know, Christians are often accused of being so heavenly-minded that they know earthly good and all of those caricatures. It's actually real hope with a precedent in history that we can look back on, which gives us certainty for the future, a certain hope, a hope that you can base your life on. I want you to see the structure of the passage, Um, on the slide Uh, so the first um, last week we looked at verses 3 to 12 uh, where Peter said you are the born again children of God save for a great inheritance he was giving us our identity as Christians our identity is not something that we come up with it's something that is given to us externally to us by none other than the living God who made the heavens and the earth you are my children born again into a new family with an inheritance to look forward to. And then verse 13, read for us this morning, begins with the word, therefore, and so here is the hinge that connects a passage giving us our identity now to giving us some priorities for how we are to live. And so verses 13 to 21 is now live like this, because this is who you are, verses 3 to 12, live like this, verses 13 to 21. In light of these glorious truths, here are three commands to help us to live consistently with our new identity and our new status. Next slide, here are the three headings for today. Prepare your mind, conquer your desires, and conduct yourselves with fear. Something to do with the head, prepare your mind. Something to do with the heart, conquer your desires. And something to do with our behaviour, our hands, our, our deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, um, somebody said to me, why do you always have three points when you preach? And uh, they are they here today? I wonder if that person is here today. No, I think he comes, he'll come tonight. But um, what I'm going to show you is that under each of those headings, there are actually three sub points. So I'm actually getting nine for the price of three this morning. So hold on to your, your horses. <laughs> There's a, there's an, under each of those headings, there is an Old Testament background, and then there is a command, and then there is a motivation. So that pattern is repeated three times under those three headings. So first of all, prepare your mind. Notice uh, verse 13, he says, therefore prepare your minds for action, uh, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Please will you notice the place of the mind. We start with the mind. It's very interesting how Christianity is often caricatured as being mindless and thoughtless. Check your brains in at the door before you go to church. But actually the Bible has got a very, very high view and in fact a primary view of the mind. You've got to think for yourself, not be spoon fed. That's why I asked you to to look at the Bible a moment ago. So that you can see that what I'm saying is what is written. So so that you know that I also am under the authority of the Bible. I'm not an authority over the Bible. I'm not somebody that has conquered the Bible and now I'm delivering it to you. All of us need to be conquered by the Bible and it starts with our mind. And so prepare your mind, says Peter. The Greek literally says... Gird up your loins, which is a very antiquated statement, isn't it? What does that mean, gird up your loins? It's a strange way of saying, tuck your shirt in and get ready for action. And here's the Old Testament background. It's actually a reference back to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11, which will be on the screen. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover." What's that all about? You might remember the story of Israel being slaves in Egypt back in the day and God exodusing them through the leadership of Moses. And on, at the great climax, just before they left Egypt, there was the last of 10 plagues that God sent, and it was called the Passover. When the angel of death passed over the nation of Egypt, and killed all the firstborn except for the Jewish firstborn who had a lamb die instead of them. And that blood of that lamb was put on the post of the door so that the angel of death knew which houses to preserve and which houses to strike. And symbolically, during that dinner, they had to eat in haste. They had to be ready. They had to have a mindset of, come, we've got to eat quickly and go. And so tuck their tunics into their belts. Gird up your loins. Um, As Peter puts it in verse 13, prepare your minds. That's the Old Testament background, is the exodus. You have been rescued. And so frequently in the New Testament, the exodus, which happened thousands of years before Jesus, is seen as a template for salvation and for rescue in the New Testament. And so, like the Israelites, in a very important way, God saves them from slavery. You might remember that after God saved Israel, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And the order is very important. Everybody in the world who isn't a Christian, or is loosely affiliated with Christian things, thinks that Christianity is about being good. If that is you, I want to dispel that as a myth this morning. Nowhere in the Bible is that the case. God always rescues first, and then he commands, like he did with the Israelites, and he does it with us as well. He doesn't give them the Ten Commandments and say, let's see how you obey those, and then I might rescue you. He first rescues them. You are the rescued people of God, now live like this. And so Peter is following that template, that pattern, in his letter to us this morning. And so that's the Old Testament Background. He has the command. The command in verse 13 is set your hope. Set your hope um, fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's talking about hope. You might remember if you were here last week, he started talking about hope in verse 3. He mentions hope here in verse 13, and he pulls it through at the end of the passage in verse 21 again. Christians listen carefully to this, are not wishful thinkers, they are rational optimists. That's what we are as Christians. Because our hope is based on a fact of history, we are not irrational optimists who engage in wishful thinking. Prepare your mind, have mental alertness, says Peter. In fact, he says, be self-controlled. The Greek says, be Mm sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Christians are sober people. We do not engage in activity that renders our mind neutralized. And so are you good to go? Set your mind fully on the second coming when you will be given grace. Live in the light of judgment day. Live here now in this world, realizing that this world is not the last place that you will be. There is something else coming, much bigger. And if you are born again, much better. So get ready, it's coming. Be dressed for action, prepare your minds. He has the motivation. Did you see the motivation in verse 13? Grace is coming. Salvation will be revealed finally when Jesus returns and he will bring grace. You know, for the Christian in the present tense, grace is fully present in our lives. We are recipients of undeserved kindness, that's what grace means. Undeserved kindness of God to forgive us our sins and to not treat us as we deserve to be treated. But although grace is present in our lives, it's not yet fully realized. There's more to come. And so set your mind on the grace that is to come. Be thankful for the grace that you've got, but there's more. Set your minds on that grace. And so that's the motivation for us to to set our minds, to prepare our minds for action, for grace is coming at the end of the age, a final salvation which will bring a full realization of grace. Something better is coming. We lived in Durban for many years and one of the joys of living in Durban is that you have access to the Drakensberg and it's magnificent there and we had a little place that we had use of. In the Drakensberg. But on the way to the Drakensberg, we'd always stop at a rest stop, which was an amazing rest stop. It had lovely coffee, good coffee, and a nice restaurant, and clean ablutions, and a fantastic jungle gym. (laughs) And the kids enjoyed it too. (laughs) But one day we were there, and the kids were so enjoying the jungle gym. That when I called them, we'd filled up and we'd had our coffee and when I called them to go, they complained because they wanted to stay on the jungle gym. And I I had to remind them that, look, guys, I know this is good, but there's something much better. Let's get in the car and get there. It's a bit like that in the Christian life, isn't it? This, This world is just the rest stop. Lots of good things, lovely things. Good gifts from God, but not as good as what lies ahead. Let's get in the car and go. Get your minds ready for action. Second heading, conquer your desires. Uh, Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written... Be holy, because I am holy. It's a quote from Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, which will be on the screen. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. That language in the Old Testament is used of the very special relationship that God entered into with the nation of Israel, the covenant. He didn't only rescue them from slavery, he rescued them for friendship with himself. But if you want to be friends with God, be holy, for He is holy. That's the the Old Testament backdrop. To be holy means to be set apart, it means to be distinctive. It means to be a non-conformist with the unholiness in the world around us. The Israelites, when God rescued them, were to be different from the nations around them. They were to conquer their desires. You know, Israel were placed in a situation where the handbrake was down on anything went. The nations around Israel in the ancient Near East gave in to the most horrific passions imaginable, even on today's standards, and that's saying something. And so from child sacrifice to temple prostitution to incest and to many other unmentionables, It was amongst these nations that Israel were to make their home. And when you think about it, that's really not far from where we live, is it, today? We also have to make our home temporarily amongst the pagans, amongst the nations, whose handbrake is down when it comes to evil desires. Isn't that true? More and more in our generation, the handbrake is down, but not us. We are to pull the handbrake up and we are to conquer our desires and our evil passions, says Peter. In a world that says embrace your desires, if it feels right for you then it is right and and nobody can tell you anything different, Peter says don't conform to your desires. It's just what Jesus said to Peter, remember in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus gave his disciples a lesson on discipleship? One of the great things that he said to them was, deny yourself. If ever there was something that goes completely against our culture today, it's those words of Jesus and echoed by Peter here in this passage. Deny yourself. Our culture tells me that lust is cathartic. Put the handbrake down. Our culture tells me that greed is good. Handbrake down. That selfishness is natural that deceit is the cost of business. But Peter says, conquer your desires. Deny yourself. Our culture says, be true to yourself. Follow your heart. But Jesus says, pull the handbrake up. The last thing you should be doing is following your heart. See where that gets you. There's no place for self-denial anymore in our culture. For how can you be true to yourself and deny yourself? For if you deny certain urges, you might end up in therapy. In contrast, the gospel of the Lord Jesus says, be children of obedience, not conforming to your evil passions. Do you know, saying no to yourself will do yourself no harm. It's good for us to say no. Being conformed to holiness leads actually to the good life. And so here is the motivation for us. The motivation is God is holy. The Old Testament background, Leviticus 11, the command, be holy, the motivation for God is holy. Our relationship with the world has changed because we have been brought into a new family. We have a new father and we've been given new birth. And so life can never be the same again once we were controlled by and conformed to our own evil desires and what a tyranny that is. But now I have to do the hard thing and go against my natural instincts and my desires. It's a very different way of living in the world, isn't it? And the world will look at you askew and call you a stuck-up prude or other such titles. But do you know, if you look back over the last 2000 years, it's this command of denying yourself, of pulling up the handbrake, that changed the Western world. It's a fascinating thing. Some of you know about Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, the historian Tom Holland, who's written a book called Dominion. It's a magnificent book. He started writing the book as an agnostic, a self-confessed agnostic. But by the time he ended up, he ended writing the book, He was much closer to believing because he was astounded at the role that Christianity has played in the greatness of the Western world and in civilization. Because of the commands of pull up the handbrake, deny yourself, say no to your evil passions, there were many, many wonderful benefits that that arose out of that over time, including, by the way, the protection and the liberation of women and the value and the benefit of permanent monogamy was a Christian idea, pulling up the handbrake on sexual desire, the end of slavery, and even gave rise to our modern era's manifesto of human rights. Human rights are a distinctly Christian idea. And so we might think Peter is being a prude. But actually, if you look back in history, you'll see what good it's done to the world and to countless people who have followed this command. When we were ignorant of God, well, we had no real reason to resist our desires. We just went with the flow. But being chosen by God, being adopted by God, being included by God, being a beneficiary of the grace of God, well, that makes all the difference. And so because our Father is holy, As obedient children, we want to be like him. Do not be conformed to the passions of this world, but rather be conformed to godliness. Conquer your passions. Third and final point, conduct yourselves with fear. This has to do with behaviour, with deeds, with hands. What's the Old Testament background? Well, you can see it for yourself. Um, Look at verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now the phrase as strangers here, if you're using the NIV translation, is actually in the Greek, we are talking about the fact that we are in exile. As you live in your exile, is what it says literally, which is another Old Testament uh, concept Um, The Israelites were sent ultimately into exile, and the New Testament picks that image up again and applies it to Christians and talks about us as being strangers in this world and not in our home yet, and so we are like the Israelites in exile, out of our land, longing for our land and making the best of things while we wait. But the command, in verse 17, is conduct yourselves with fear. I want you to notice that verse 17 actually brings two great things together. He says, you call on a father who is also a judge. You see that? So let's not lose sight of it. God is not only a fearsome judge, he is also a loving father who has adopted us and welcomed us into his family. But let's not forget that he's not less than being a judge. He's more than that, he's also a father. But he is a judge to be honoured and to be respected and to be held in awe. And so live your life in reverent fear, is what Peter is saying. Fear doesn't mean terror. We don't live in fear of God in so far as every time you do something wrong you think he's going to give you a clap. That's not the fear that Peter is talking about. Why? Because actually Jesus is the one who received that clap. Instead of you on the cross, never has to happen again. It's not that kind of fear. It's not the fear that we might lose our salvation fear. It's fear that he might respond to us in discipline, in loving discipline. That's very different to being judged. And so it's the deepest respect and reverence because Your God and your Father is not Father Christmas. He's not to be trifled with. And we all know, don't we, from from childhood, whether we've experienced it or whether we wished we experienced it, that a father who disciplines his children is a father who's loved, for the children always feel secure. And so here is the awesome judge of the universe before whom the whole world one day will bow. But for those in Christ, he is also their dad. What a wonderful thing that is. Think about what a help that would have been to the first audience of Peter. As non-conforming aliens in a hostile world, where state-sponsored persecution was around the corner, they would have been tempted to fear the Romans when it looks like the mighty empire is about to turn on you, it must have been terrifying and lonely and costly to have lived God's way. When when everybody around you is saying, Caesar is Lord, and you are saying, no, Jesus is Lord, can you imagine the fear of the empire and of those authorities? Peter is saying, don't worry about the world. Don't be frightened of the world. Don't fear the world, fear God. For he is the ultimate judge who at the end of the day will weigh the whole world. So God is the one to live in reverent fear of, prayerfully trusting him. Two motivations. And uh, he draws on two of the most powerful emotions, really, to, to drive us Uh, to motivate us, the one is love and the other is fear. Look at verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Here is a great motivation to obey God, not fear, but gratitude and love. Because God has demonstrated to the world that you are more loved than you ever dreamed by sending his son to shed his precious, costly, priceless blood. That's how loved you are. No one has done that for you. No one else has loved you like that. But God has done it. He sent his own son into the world to pay the full price to redeem us from the slavery of sin. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't easy. It cost God everything. He held nothing back from you. That is how loved you are. Now will you obey him? That's a great motivation, isn't it? It's a much more powerful motivation than being frightened of God. Uh, when, I was at, when I was in primary school, I don't remember too much about it, but I remember two teachers that I'll never forget when I was in standard five, grade seven, in the, back in the day. The one teacher we hated, we feared him, he was a cruel monster of a man who took great delight in giving us hidings, which you were allowed to do back in those days. And uh, whenever he was in the classroom, we were very well behaved. Because he took the view that if one person misbehaved, he would whack all 30 boys. And so there was lots of peer pressure to be well-behaved. So we behaved. But the minute he left the classroom, we put one of the students on sentry duty to guard the door, and we went crazy. And then the sentry would whistle when he was on his way back, and we'd all sit still. We obeyed because we were frightened of him. We hated him. It's not that kind of obedience that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the other teacher who loved us, and who made an effort with us, and who was an interesting teacher, and who was kind and gracious to us. And do you know, we listened to him whether or not he was in the classroom. It's a very much more powerful motivation, love than fear, isn't it? We don't obey God because we are frightened that we will lose our salvation. Don't you love him? Look at what he paid for you the precious blood of his own son. I would never love you like that. I would never shed my son's blood for your sake. On occasion, I've thought about doing it for my own sake. (laughs) But I will never do it for you. But God did. You greatly loved, more than you ever imagined. And so obey him in response to his love for you. But I want you to, there's a kind of two-edged sword there. I also want you to see the second motivation, how seriously God takes your sin. We must resist the temptation of reducing sin to a little bit of naughtiness here and there. No. Think about how serious your sin must have been in order for God to shed his son's blood. Don't trifle with God, be serious about God and thinking about him and what he has done through the death of his son when he, was, when he was on the cross. It's very, very serious. Please, whatever else you do, don't take your sin lightly and don't take God lightly. For if his son's blood was shed, we must take the view that sin is very, very serious to God. But how wonderful the way that Peter ends this passage for us. Here is your Redeemer. Look at your Redeemer, verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. That's talking about the incarnation of Jesus coming to the earth. Through him you believed in God who raised him from the dead, his death and his resurrection. And glorified him, he raised him up after his resurrection to heaven, where he has been glorified. And so your faith and hope are in God. You can trust Jesus, he spans all of time. He was foreknown from before the creation of the world, and he has been glorified at the right hand of the Father, He has been revealed in the incarnation. He has been vindicated in his resurrection and he's been glorified by his ascension. Will you put your trust in him if you haven't already done so? So let's wrap it up. Because your father is bringing grace, set your hope on him. That's the first point. Because your father is holy, pull the handbrake up. Conquer your evil passions. And because your father is judge, conduct yourselves with reverent fear. Can I speak to you this morning, if this is all new to you, and you think, you know, I'm not, you might not have been here by choice this morning, You're not a, you wouldn't claim to be a Christian, you have the integrity to be honest about that, I'd love to talk to you about more about that. Because this is serious. This is what many people in this room have based their entire lives on. It's not easily dismissed, for it's based on an historical fact that has not yet been disproven, the resurrection of Jesus. It changes everything. It means that life can never be the same again. I wonder when you've given that any more thought other than perhaps a cursory glance. Maybe today's a good time, a good day, for you to start a journey of investigating that further. And if I can be a help to you, nothing would give me greater joy. Now will you bow with me as we pray. I'm just gonna give you a moment of quiet reflection for you to think about something that you've heard this morning, or maybe to say something appropriate to God in the privacy of your own heart and mind. I don't know what it is that you need to say to God, or just to be quiet. Father, how grateful we are to you this morning for your living word which sheds light in a dark world. Lord, your word is life to us. It's light to us. And we thank you for the alternative lifestyle that it gives us that is so refreshingly different from the darkness around us. We pray that we would live for you, preparing our minds, setting our hope, being holy, and fearing you in a healthy and a good way. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.